26, I got offered a contract to go play in Paris. That would have made me the highest paid winger in the world. And I turned it down. And now you're here with us. And now I'm here with you guys, living the dream. <laughs> Is that true? Is 100%. It not true? Yeah. The amount of professional rugby players are like, oh yeah, oh, you used to be in this academy, that academy. <laughs> you may have been, but if you were good enough, you'd have stuck at it. Yeah. Because yeah. when you look at the stacks of what you were, <laughs> there's only one sport you're going to actually pursue, and yeah. that's going to be football. It's my first love. I wanted to so play football over rugby. Uh, who's your team? Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. It's one after another. <laughs> yes, people, we are back again with the big fella, aka Disc, myself, Troy Dini. And now we've got like, we're going to go into a world that we don't really know much about, don't we? Just being, a, being a celebrity, <laughs> being a performer, being just everything you could ever wish to be as a young child and also he's very good at rugby as well mr ugo monier how are you doing boys we're right. good we're good you're gonna have to lead you're gonna have to lead a lot of this big fella <laughs> you swap seats <laughs> <laughs> so i appreciate you coming on we know you're a very busy man and obviously um you know just a nice guy in general aren't you to be fair Mate, that was a generous introduction i nice. don't think i normally get an introduction quite as nice you deserve as it though brother so anyone what? anyone that doesn't know you are England international. You are a monster of a man when you were uh, when you were your playing days, and now you are the the gentle giant of TV. The only guy that can work BBC <laughs> and ITV. <laughs> I get so much grief about that. <laughs> I get a lot of grief, but I'm I'm enjoying my second career. I've yeah. got to say it's um. It's, it's been fun. I didn't really ever intend on getting into telly. Okay. I really didn't. I signed. My last contract, age 29, signed three years. And I was like, I'm going to spend this time trying to figure out what I want to do next, potentially. Mm -hmm. If my body's good after three years, I'm going to carry on playing. But if it's not, let's have a look. So mm -hmm. first year, I looked at loads of things. Didn't like any of it. And it's just like having a bad ex. I thought, <laughs> it's actually more important to figure out the things that I don't like yeah, than I do yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know yeah. Yeah. So I ruled loads of things out, met someone who said, I reckon you might be half decent at being a pundit so I gave it a go all I wanted to do was enjoy it because mm -hmm. I spent a whole career enjoying what I do yeah so I just stepped into that and I'm still doing it somehow yeah you're not bad at it though <laughs> no, like, go on, give yourself a bit of credit I think more importantly what uh what you just said there was quite interesting so was you already planning your exit strategy from rugby was that through um injuries wear and tear or just seeing the landscape of how, how things lie a little bit of both like mm. i think opportunity time and you get the two at the same time then mm. then you generally do all right but also like my body just started to fail yeah so i spent the whole um pre-season like monitoring a groin injury that i had okay came back <clears throat> first game of the season scored a try 15 minutes brand new start of the season but in scoring the try i actually end up tearing my tendon off the bone in my groin and also splitting my pubis so i was out for four months after rehabbing for three months and i was like i don't know like do you know your body's the most yeah, honest yeah. thing that you have it was telling me maybe to give it up but i still felt as if i had miles on the clock but to do everything that i wanted to do and have a true reflection of me i needed just my body just to function a bit better so mm -hmm. i then started looking at other things and yeah i'm I'm loving what I do now. I actually loving yeah, it. Yeah, I want I want to take it back. So, a lot of our viewers are football fans. We are football mm. fans. So am I. 
It's my yeah. first love. I wanted to so play football who's your over rugby. Uh, Arsenal. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. It's one after another. <laughs> <one. laughs> Seriously. I, I want to know. So, so we used to be in the school playground. Anyone who played rugby failed footballer. Anyone who played cricket, <laughs> fair football. Eh? If you, watch, you know what the cricket boys do, they? The cricket boys, they, 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 they play, play football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is that true? Is 100%. It not true? Yeah. The amount of professional rugby players are like, oh, yeah, I used to be in this academy, that academy. <laughs> you may have been, but if you were good enough, you'd have stuck at it. Yeah. Because yeah. when you look at the stacks of what you were, <laughs> there's only one sport you're going to actually pursue and yeah. that's going to be football. But yeah. the reality is, as good as I thought I could have been, if I was good enough, mm -hmm. I'd have made it. I didn't. But it actually came down to the school I went to. I'm, I'm a council state boy, yeah. went to a state school, but I then went to a private school and they were like, we don't play football here. Mm -hmm. So I thought this is the biggest stitch up. I'm a city mm -hmm. boy now in the country yeah. and you don't even play the number one thing that I love. You now play rugby. How, so. how, did, how did that come about? Parents, financial situation change? <coughs> if you don't it's, mind me asking. No, 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 please ask me anything. Like single mum, five yeah. kids. And the school I was at, I was doing okay, but mm. my mum kind of thought, I think there's more he could do. Yeah. And this school I went to called Lord Wandsworth College, um, they had this um, foundation, so a bursary, um, yeah. put aside for single families. Oh, nice. And we couldn't afford to go there, so mm. they paid for like 95% of the school fees. So I was really fortunate mm -hmm. just to be able to go there. So when I say to people, I'm a private schoolboy, not because I come from a rich family. Yeah, yeah, I just had an opportunity which was funded by the school due to this, and that's kind of where it all started. I think that's important, though. Again, we uh, what we try and highlight on, on this podcast is the person behind the name, and I think there you go the opportunity. So when you say uh, private school educated people, oh, yeah, yeah it changes the perception yeah, of it. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. said that it came from ninety five percent that was funded by by the state essentially. And that 5% was difficult to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Definitely. that was difficult to pay. Mm -hmm. So it was mad, I remember like, it was a huge cultural shock. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not from a wealthy family at all. I remember my brother ended up going to the school, same deal, had mm -hmm. to just pay 5%. <clears throat> he was playing cricket one Saturday. Played Fair footballer the, again. Yeah, that was <laughs> exactly. We're just the family of fell footballers, <laughs> essentially. Do you know what I mean? That's the headline for the yeah, podcast yeah, already yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. Monier, the family of fell footballers. Yeah. And so he, he played cricket, played his cricket match, and one of the parents were like, Should we drop you home? I said, Cool. Get to the house. And his mate went, Can I use your toilet? He said, Yeah, yeah, cool. So he like walked in, and our house was open a door and you're straight in the living room. Do you know what I mean? There's no corridor there. No front room. So you used the toilet, went, went in the car, went back to school. The following week, that mum turned up with a bag of clothes and food because wow. they'd never see. They're like from, you know, they're right, rich yeah. families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not exposed to like what council estates and council houses look like. So my brother was, he was grateful, but also embarrassed. And once mm -hmm. again, that caused that friction of, should I really be here when people potentially look down on you? And mm -hmm. no one wants a handout, but for that family, their intention was really good. Yeah, it's sure. mad because like one of my best mates at school, he's the first friend that I had with a double barreled name. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, did. oh, I'm in that kind of realm now. <laughs> and I was, and he was like, do you want to come to my house at the weekend? I was like, cool. He's like, yeah. So I live on this estate. I was like, oh, he's like me. Yeah, he lives on a estate. I was like, sick. Went to his. <laughs> Bro, he lived on an estate. <laughs> you know what I mean? ball, tennis courts, <laughs> I was like, this ain't the kind of estate I'm from, bro. What did, uh, what did that, uh, not only education, but that experience in terms of 
lifestyle, everyone is high, trying to be high achieving. Not always going to be that. And I think we speak about it a lot, don't I? I put my kids through private school and I feel like you did the same, yeah. but it's not for anything other than the the environment that it nurtures in my in my belief 100% I look don't look down on state schools that's mm-hmm. where I came from that's my roots but the first thing that private school did for me apart from like the access to all different kinds of sports mm-hmm. better classrooms I went from a classroom of 35 to one of six yeah like you can't not but learn yeah but actually just surrounding yourself by people who wanted so much more than you ever thought you could get mm-hmm. at state school I wanted to do my GCSEs maybe do my A levels and honestly I was I was happy if I was working at Foot Locker and yeah, getting a yeah. discount on trainers, like legit. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. in that, but that's that's what all my other friends were doing. That's what their yeah. parents were doing. I was like, cool. All of a sudden, I'm at school and this one's dad's CEO of a big bank. This one mm-hmm. owns own business. This one does this and that. And I'm, it just got me to think a lot bigger and greater than I ever was able to think before because I was living it. I was surrounded by it. So I think just my... <clears throat> level of potential and attainment just grew exponentially just by being mm-hmm. in a high performing environment what was your first experience of rugby then because my first experience of rugby in school was making sure i forgot my pe kit <laughs> just so i didn't have to do it i hated it <laughs> literally because like <clears throat> you know you do like one term of football and then yeah, the next yeah, time yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. you've got you've got rugby next time like, no, I'm not feeling that. Yeah, I'll make sure I forget my PE kit every time. I, I don't mind sitting inside doing a few lines or whatever. I want to add a caveat to that as well. When did you know you was good at it? What makes a good rugby player? Yeah, I was always fast, and mm. I was always quite physical, I guess. Mm. And it's mad because I grew up on WWE, like watching The Rock <laughs> and yeah. Hulk Hogan, and so, and I got two brothers. My younger brother's a lot bigger than me, six four, like eighteen stone. So I had good scraps <laughs> of him. So yeah. I was like, okay, I feel like I can handle myself. <laughs> And plus, and it goes back to perception. I was like, these private school boys, they can't scrap like I can scrap. Yep. Yeah. So I thought I can handle myself on the pitch, knew nothing about the rules. Got past the ball, caught it, and ran. And I was quicker than everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, because as a kid, if you feel like you're getting support and you're getting applauded, you're more willing to probably stick at things. So like yeah. Monday morning assembly, when they go, so the under 13 Bs beat Wellington College. I was like that. I was part of that team. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that sick? Yeah. I want my name called out, I want my team team name called out every single week. So I just started, and to be honest, the only reason I got into it is because I wanted to make friends. I was the only black yeah, kid yeah. at school, and mm-hmm. that's what you do. So the quickest and easiest way of making friends is by playing their sport. Like mm-hmm. sport is that like leveler, isn't it? It's that equalizer. So yeah. that's how I got into it. And then I don't know, just stuck with it. And then I probably got first recognized 16. Okay. So a little bit older. Like a lot of kids start at five and six. I was starting at 13. Oh, wow. So I had a bit of ground to make up. You just touched on it there, being the only black kid in, in the school. What was it like in terms of rugby as well, the diversity at that time? Was it was it like an equal thing or was it just purely like White you was the only class. black person there? I and was the only black person. Really? Yeah. And uh, and not even just my school, the school, you, the played school you played against. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. There weren't many that looked mm. like me and that was fine, but... The mad thing is, is whilst that might come across as a negative, <clears throat> whenever we played a school, they were like, "Raw, he must be fast." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's black. The old stereotype. <laughs> yeah, he must be but, fast. But. Do you know that just took me back to my childhood. I think, I think my mum told you the story, but I was like twelve, and I went to Ireland and I went to see family out there, and they had like a sports day thing in like June, and I've just gone out, oh, do the local race, <laughs> and I ran, beat the kid. Uh, all these kids 
And the woman who gave me the first place prize was like, you run fast. And my mum was like, he speaks English, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Their concept that this black kid come over, I must have been African. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? Not and like, you, you can't, he must be good then. And that, yeah. so when you say that, it resonated 100%. massively. That's just what they think. Mm -hmm. I was like, but it wasn't a shock to them because I actually was fast. Yeah, yeah. So it's mad how some of the stereotypes, which are sometimes unfairly given, mm -hmm. are actually quite accurate because yeah. I was black, like, spoiler alert, yeah. I am black <laughs> and I was fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my that was my superpower, at mm -hmm. least anyway. In, ter point. in terms of rugby, because again, this is, you're going to educate not just us, but the viewers, I hope. Is there a, um, a youth system? at your time when you were playing? Was there a youth system like now, football people are getting picked up at seven, eight, maybe even younger than that at mm. times. Was that available for you? <laughs> no, not really. So we had un we had age groups, which has always been there, but mm -hmm. there was no real academy set up. Mm -hmm. So when I joined Harlequin in 2001, um, they had what they called an apprentice, okay. which was just the word which they used to pay young people shit money. <laughs> that, that was it. The way back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I did everything all the internationals were doing, mm -hmm. just training with the first team. I was just getting paid stupid money. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, so I played a couple of games <clears throat> and then the CEO calls me in. I I made my second team, so my reserve debut and I scored the last minute try from about 60 meters and he pulled me in on Monday and was like, knit off your contract. I was like, cool. Sat down with me and he went, um, 8,000 pounds. And I was like, make it eight and a half. Yeah. And he went, yeah, and I signed that. And I thought I was a millionaire. Yeah. but. 500 pound uplift is what I got divided by 12 after tax. <laughs> I've probably done him out of 35 pound a month. And I was there thinking, Buzzing. I was going, hey, I was like, bro, he offered me eight, I got eight and a half. I mean, like, my first thought there was like eight and a half K a week. That's what I was thinking then. Mate, yeah. a year. A year. Because so when, when you first said that, I was like, well, I don't get paid that's on that. Yeah, yeah, that's decent. Yeah, yeah. No, and it was, yeah. that was for the year. So I was Whoa. living at home with my mum mm -hmm. and that eight and a half grand was enough for me to get to train. I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. So I took two trains, taxi or a bus to get to training. And when you think of the professional demands, you're mm -hmm. training a lot. You're yeah. getting beasted in the gym on the training pitch. Then at the end of it, I'm there rucksack, hoodie on, mm -hmm. walking to the bus stop, getting on a bus to the train, train to train, and then a taxi the other end. Mm -hmm. I was spending all my money on transport, but it was an investment. Mm -hmm. I knew that eight and a half was never going to stay eight and a half. I just needed an option to for them to see me because mm -hmm. I knew if they saw me, like I don't know what qualities I have, but if there is one quality I say I would have, it'd be I back myself. Mm -hmm. All I need to do yeah. is get me in a room and I can show you what I could do. do so that. I didn't mind that eight and a half. Mm -hmm. I just thought, just give me an option. Where did that confidence come from? Um... I think the situations you find yourself in, mm -hmm. like being 13, I, d I, I think the person I am today was born age 13 at private school. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd never been away from my mum and dad. My mum and dad split up when, when I was young and that was cool. And I mm -hmm. had no issue with that. But then stepping out of the city, going into the country and then just being on my own. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to find a sense of resilience and understand yeah. and figure out who you were and or who you are. And A13, you're probably not like actually realizing that, but passively that is what you're becoming because you need a strength of character to be out of totally out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. away from friends and family, playing a, an alien sport to yourself and working in a culture where 
for a lot of the time I had imposter syndrome. What am mm -hmm. I doing here? They turn up in Benzes, yeah, they yeah. turn up in Lexus and Mercedes and all the rest of it. I'm getting the train, yep. dragging my suitcases <laughs> you know, off the back of some minibus. Like yeah, that's yeah. how it was. So I think being sure of myself then has definitely stayed with me to this day. What point did you see yourself as an established rugby player? Cause you know, you said you had the imposter syndrome. When did you actually sit there and think, you know what, I fit in there. This is for me. I'm, I am who I am now. Um, it's a really good question. I think the number one thing I wanted was an opportunity. I got that. The second thing I wanted was respect from my elders mm -hmm. because you're sharing the same change room, but you're not as good as them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted the respect of my change room. And then you start playing some matches and, and even then it's probably, I don't know. I just wanted to be a regular. I think mm -hmm. the minute you become a regular and you're dependable, then you feel a bit more comfortable. Like, People look at you differently. Yeah, I, I think so. And then maybe 2005, I got my first England call-up. And But even then, it, it's mad as a sports person, once you hit the goals, like you have this insatiable appetite to achieve more. So all I wanted mm -hmm. to do was play for Harlequins once. I did it. I was like, what, do I retire now? No, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I want to do this again. Right, you do it 50 times. I want to get 100 get 100, want to play for England, do it once, want to do it again, I want to mm -hmm. play for the British and Irish Lions. You're forever assessing, reassessing and resetting. Mm -hmm. So even after you've done the things you say you want to do, all it does is elevate you to another plane. And at that plane, you then need to get comfortable mm -hmm. to then reset and go them. again. So you never full, fully feel settled. And even towards the end of my career, my role changed. It wasn't necessarily as much about me and the team. It was about how do we get the younger players better? Yeah. So my role forever changed and I had to change with it. You just touched on England there. Obviously in football, you know, on Sky it's coming up and like we've had guests on before, they said the ticker tape comes at the bottom. Mm -hmm. How's the process of getting a call up for England rugby? Oh, it's different for everyone. Like for me, I got capped age 26. Yeah. So late. You said there you signed your last contract at 29. That's mad. Yeah, it's would wild. You do, would you actually mm. put, you know, put the time, the time stamps together? Yeah, hundred percent. So, I could look at injuries and this and mm -hmm. that, and those things hold you back, of course. But we live in a subjective world. We've mm -hmm. got one England coach who has an opinion. Yeah. Some like you, some don't. It doesn't matter how well you're playing, but stay patient. Um, for me, and it's mad. The year before, two years before, we got relegated into the championship, and mm -hmm. I tore it up in the championship. But that's not even something to gloat about. Yeah, like. yeah. yeah. I'm a premiership player, I've just been on tour of England. I yeah. should be doing that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a real test of like my mental resilience Strength. again, because mm -hmm. it's easy doing it in front of 80,000 people. What's it like doing at clubs where the facility is a toilet, mm -hmm. no one's watching. And by the way, if you have a good game, you should have had a good game. So try and be exceptional every week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it came off the back of that. I remember the England coach ringing me and said, you've been for a good bit. I think you're ready. I think, physically you've always been able but mentally I think you're in the right place for it so I like, went into camp and I knew I, I knew I was ready and actually had I been capped previously I don't think I'd have handled it that well yeah. mm -hmm. I think I'd have I don't think I was mature enough to actually deal with it accept it and I don't know be everything I could and even now I'm retired like mm -hmm. I didn't achieve everything I should have 100% because yeah. I got comfortable and you know, it's like being comfortable as a sports person. That it's is the, the worst, thing, worst yeah. place to be mm -hmm. in. But I realised too late. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask you there. So what, what's, I, I think I know it, but for, for the viewers, 
when you go with England, it changes, right? Everything mm. changes because now your your main club is England, isn't it? Essentially, mm-hmm. did you know that? Mm-hmm. No. So that if so, they play for like we play for Birmingham City and then go to England. When you go to England, you stay with England, and then oh, you yeah, go yeah, report yeah. back to your club every now and again. Mm. So how was that environment change for you? Because I, I imagine it's the best of the best at that point, right? Everything's laid on. You you ain't got to ask for nothing. No, nah, you ain't got to ask for nothing. It's interesting. So we had uh, an England coach, current England coach, a guy called Kevin Sinfield, who's a legend, mm-hmm. okay? He said, with elite sports people, you kind of don't want it to be five-star mm-hmm. because then you can get a bit complacent, a bit yeah, cocky, yeah. and it's a bit too luxurious. You actually want everything that you get to be a little bit four-star. <laughs> Yes, because it's comfortable and it's good, but you ain't been pandered to because you need to keep the hunger and bite. But in saying that, when you play for England, everything's definitely five or six (laughs) because it needs to like, I mean, performance, nutrition, everything else, the pitches, whatever you take. It was for me, age 26, I've already had five years in the Prem. Mm -hmm. So I knew everyone. I had a load of games under my belt. So it was not like I was in my first season, mm-hmm. shy, retired, and getting to know people. Like I knew everyone and I felt people knew me and hopefully respected me at that point. But they respect you coming into it, but then once you get into camp, once again, reset, you need to prove yourself to a new level of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that challenge, because mm-hmm. I like being written off. I like being written off. I remember age 18, first game <clears throat> I had was televised on telly. I played against Leicester Tigers. At that time, they were the number one side yep. in the country. I was 18, 19, scored a try from like 60 yards, like really good try. Remember the commentator, I won't say his name, but he said at halftime, went, oh, it was a good try, but he won't make it. He's too small. Oh, wow. And I was like, how can you say about a kid age 19 in his first big game that mm-hmm. he ain't going to make it after scoring a wonder try? Yeah. So, I mean, that wasn't my only motivation, but mm-hmm. I thought, flipping heck. Do you, like, use, do you use that as a story? Go on, go what, was, he, was he an ex-sportsman or just a pure commentator? He's an ex-England international. Oh, okay. yeah. Someone who should know, yeah. Yeah. but clearly didn't. Well, I was just going to say that because I, I think I use that as a motivational tool personally, proving people wrong. It's brilliant. All the mm-hmm. time. And that's what, fortunate enough, I think I've had enough of negativity. It's like, a bit like Michael Jordan in the sense of like, you know, he used all the negativity. Before he says, I'm not comparing myself to Jordan. Before that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we're going to stop all of that. A, we're going to stop that to, in his tracks. I was about to say something, but no, no, you we'll, corrected we'll, yourself. We'll stop in his tracks. We'll stop in his tracks. Um, but just in terms of the, I can, I can pick a battle. If I'm feeling a bit down, a bit off it, whatever, I can pick a battle with anything that will get me in the mood. 100%. And I think like when, you, when you're talking like that, I think what people don't realise, I didn't realise, because at Birmingham City, our training ground just burnt down. So we just oh, moved wow. to Wasps Elite Training okay. Ground, their, their brand new yeah, state-of-the-art yeah, yeah. facility. The weight that these guys shift, we've seen, I've seen 70 kilo dumbbells for the first time in my life <laughs> when I went there. Light. Yeah, no, I used that's to what do that pull-ups. Pull-ups are 75 kilograms off my, off my waist. But we're... To anyone that doesn't know, He's basically doing it with me hanging off him. That's basically what he's doing. But our sport is, <laughs> do you know what? It's, it's a collision sport. Mm-hmm. And our sport mm-hmm. sometimes is afraid of what it is. It's mm-hmm. brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to hide from it. Yeah, not because yeah. I'm a tough guy, but the demands of the sport is a physical sport. And, you know, we've got GPS units on the yeah. back of the shirts that measure the collisions. And 
what I love is taking the GPS, like the G-forces and actually translating it into something which people get their heads around. Mm -hmm. So a tackle, like two big dudes running at one another, hitting one another, is the same as being hit by a car at 20 miles an hour. Like you speak to surgeons crazy. and they say the injuries they see, uh, what they often see in car crashes. It's a, it's a high yeah. velocity sport. So the weights we push whilst the numbers are great and we can post it on the gram and everything else, they're there for a purpose, yeah. mm -hmm. like for us to be Protecting robust yourself. enough, to be physical enough, because the game's full of skill, pace and strategy, but it's all built upon being physical. Mm -hmm. And if you can be physical, you can dominate someone. And yeah. that's massively important. Well, we had um, we had FA on, didn't we, from yeah. NFL. He's a he's a offensive lineman, big, big guy. I asked him the question. I won't say what he said. But I was like, what are you lifting, bro? What's what's this? In your peak, what is squats? What do they look like? What do those deadlifts look like? Uh, what's the numbers? So my deadlift, I deadlift 250. Uh, my bench. Basically a bodybuilder. It means yeah. nothing to me, mate, because yeah. I don't go gym. <laughs> I, ain't got, I ain't got a clue what you're on about. You're so, talking rugby and weightlifting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so I might as well sit over there. So deadlift a quarter of a ton. Yeah. And yeah. bench press, I'd bench 185. Mate, I... You know, monsters, man. Mm. The reason I say that is, you know what I said to him? Cool. He went, I said the same question, he went, we ain't gonna do that. They they put it, I lift it. <laughs> we pick them up, we put it down. That's it. Because he was just going into camp when he yeah. had me. And he's what? Is he 6'5", 6'6", six, six, yeah, 20 climbing. stone? Mate, monsters. Yeah, like, but you know what I love as well about the sport? And I'm, we had Anthony Yard on, on, on the podcast previously as well. And we were talking about maybe getting, I think boxing should be in schools, not for anything other than the discipline, the obviously trying to eradicate people being obese and overweight. Why is rugby so brutal, like you just said, but it's in school and boxing isn't? What's the what's the difference? Because you've just given us an indication there that the car crash car crash style uh, incidences from tackles. Why is it perceived to be okay for rugby at schools, but not? Um, it's a good question. So, like, I think up until the age of thirteen, someone correct me if I'm mm. wrong. <clears throat> it's we limit the types of contacts they can do. So Tag would be that kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah. So scrums don't happen to a later age, and, and and I guess the game is, I think the game changes in tandem with a, um, a, a young person's growth. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to expose young boys and girls to things which their body just can't manage. Mm -hmm. Like I put years into this and pushing big weights and have endured lots of physical contact to get myself to a position and I still got injured to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. We don't want that for, for young kids. People get put off by playing sports for lots of different reasons. I was actually having a conversation with someone from DCMS, so their government, digital culture, media, sport. In this country, no, one fifth of this country does um, on average, five minutes of exercise a day. Wow. Put you in that category <coughs> or not? I'm not in there. No, he's not even in there. <laughs> which, yeah. is, which, which, which is wild. Mm -hmm. And we've got one of the biggest obese countries in Europe. So mm -hmm. we, do I want to find the next England captain or the next England rugby player? That'd be great. Mm -hmm. But number one, I'd love to just get kids just moving. moving. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get a move and just getting active. And that's really important. But mm -hmm. also, it's not even about just the sport and the technical aspects of it. And I don't care what sport you play. I played mm -hmm. rugby, I love it, but play anything that you want to play. 
the other thing is being part of a team sport which we can all appreciate the values which you learn from it 100 percent. i need you to talk on it because not everyone understands it the yeah, value no, discipline teamwork mm -hmm. trust mm -hmm. understand they're the things by the way that teachers who are still underpaid try and teach their kids through maths and science and geography mm -hmm. but you can learn just as much playing football playing mm -hmm. rugby playing cricket out there Definitely. and they're learning without even understanding that they're learning because mm -hmm. to be able to get full enjoyment they're the things that you have to apply every single time you go and train and play 100 mm percent. -hmm. i always like with rugby i'm going to ask this question referees being mic'd up in my sport as you can see there's all sorts of different things happening do you think it should be in football and what are the benefits of being mic'd up for referees whenever i speak on football people are oh, well you're taking a higher moral stance by being a rugby player mm -hmm. i love football mm -hmm. and it's not a comparison because we've got our own issues every sport yeah, does of course. Yeah. no sport is immune from it do you know what i mean you can go through the list of it i think football's not set up for refs to be mic'd up because be careful what you Culturally. wish for yeah it's just yeah. not like we can premier league this weekend let's go mic up all the refs you'd be shocked what you hear what you hear yeah, yeah that's what i'm about you would be yeah. apologizing every three seconds about the mm -hmm. abuse and the confrontation that refs have to face it's mm -hmm. it's a cultural thing but it's one which football hasn't really wrestled with they spend millions of pounds with a respect logo on the mm -hmm. on, on the shirt don't need to spend millions of pounds for a campaign like mm -hmm. if footballers are rushing referees and getting in their faces just book them Mm -hmm. But just no, come out. Who messed with Kalina back in the day? Yeah, no, no one. one. Not a single person. Because no. you knew. Yeah. So basically, footballers are saying to refs, they're mugs. Mm -hmm. Because you can. They're dictating the terms of engagement with referees. But it's the ref who's meant to be the person in charge on the pitch. Mm -hmm. So give referees the authority to be able to, if you are aggressively approaching or swearing, mm -hmm. and we're, we're all pretty decent lip readers, do yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Yeah. That should just be a, 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 a yellow card. I'm mm -hmm. telling you. You'll stop it straight away. I'm with you, I'm with you. You would stop it. And I, I do it with the best, don't get me wrong, because yeah. it's part of the sport, but I do think, I had a, at a moment a couple of weeks back, just telling you and I, but my son, son's 30, gonna be 14 next month. And I went to his game, and everything we do, these kids were doing. Mm. And it was the first time I've ever went, oh, hold on. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to change the way I do it here. Cause I'm, I'm hearing 13 year olds using language I wouldn't even use it's at right. refs and doing this and doing that. And I saw this kid, this kid who was ref, he was 18 years old. He walked up, he asked for a picture after. Yeah, no problem. So do me a favor. He said, what? I said, next time one of them kids speak to you like that, send one of them off. It's now not. it's not the right thing to say, mm -hmm. but I'm saying it stops. Also, this kid's 18. He's his mom's at the side of the pitch, and he's right. hearing teenagers, hormones all over the place. Not making excuses for them, swearing at that. Yeah. My my son couldn't have it. You know, you, Imagine you're not allowed to swear to these people. Who are you to do that? It's not happening. But he, we spoke about it in the car on the way home. He went. Most people do it, Dad, because they see that's what you guys do. Of course, and then there'll be complaints about the standard of refereeing mm -hmm. in the English Premier League, and you're like, well, you tell me what the incentive is for an 18-year-old mm -hmm. to apply his trade on a Sunday who's doing it for nothing, mm -hmm. getting abused by kids. Yeah. Why is he going to stay in the game to mm -hmm. even want to? Yeah. So if you actually had a greater sense of respect, you'll have more people wanting to be refereeing, you'd get a better standard because the, the player pool of 
refs that are there to would create a higher standard of refereeing. But so why is the culture different then? So it, like in terms of no, rugby and and football, but yeah, it starts. You can, you can get like football fans are separated by nets, please. Mm -hmm. think we're you got rugby sitting together. sitting together. Of course, <laughs> but from the age of five, from grassroots rugby, like you wouldn't even dare talk to the ref. You wouldn't. So but that, I, I, I'm I'm hearing that, but tell me why I can't. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. I hear what you're saying. It's a historic why? cultural thing. Okay. And so it gets passed down, and you're not going to change a culture of football this season. Yeah. It will yeah, yeah. take years to. Of course. So if five year olds are watching their stars, the international stars behaving and when they do misbehave they march back and by the way misbehaving would be saying sir that was yeah and you're gone you can't you just can't approach yeah. a ref and talk to him with any level of animosity so there is a connection between grassroots and greats but also from the age of five if you've been told from the age of five you don't talk to a ref like that and you've grown up for the next 10 13 years and that's how it's always been mm -hmm. that's always always been so regardless of whether you stay in grassroots play community rugby or play international rugby from the very day you were on the pitch, you were told that's not how it is. And so mm -hmm. you've been brought up for a generation of this is how it's meant to be, where in football it's just not the same. If you've got no. teenager kids who are abusing referees, then that's not going to get caught out. We're, we're taught, not to say we like footballers, we're taught to apply pressure to the refs. Of course. Because you'll get something. If if you don't scream, you don't get you don't actually don't get kind of mentality, mm. and I think that comes back from you know see it earlier earlier on in nineties and stuff, and your your Man mm. United and your Arsenal, yeah yeah, surround the ref, put pressure on, he might give you a pen. Of course, he pressure might, on the refs, yeah. I think is that's that's just common sense. We're mm -hmm. talking about high pressured environments, okay? Mm -hmm. Talking about a billion pound industry where three points here could determine a club going out of the Premier League and mm -hmm. losing half a billion quid or whatever. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. We're talking big bills now. Mm -hmm. And it's also the, the world's biggest sport. Mm -hmm. So you understand the pressure cooker that they are working, but it comes down to attitude, culture and environment and actually just stamping it out. I was I was on holiday just last week and I was with this footballer and his, his kid is 10. Mm -hmm. I was playing football with a load of other kids. Some went past him, just nudged him. He went down, squealing, bro, holding <laughs> his ankle. And his dad was like, get up. Yeah. Get up. So you get up and you fight. And he says, what are you going down for? And he went, well, you know, he... And it's mad because, you know, the footballer, he played at the highest mm -hmm. of levels, went to World Cups, all the rest of it. I could see him reflecting on the things he did on the pitch has mm -hmm. now been, like, filtered down. Yeah. Because whether you're a kid that didn't watch him live or on TV. You can watch him on YouTube. Of you can course. watch him anywhere and you see those actually babe. And when there's no deterrent, mm -hmm. why would you? I remember going to, um, we had a Rugby World Cup 2015 in England. We used all the football stadiums, went to mm -hmm. St. James's Park and New Zealand played against Tonga, I think it was. Turned up and there's a New Zealand fan and a Tongan fan outside like play fighting, wrestling. Police rushed over, bang, tackled them. The girls were like, what are you doing? I went, we're just playing. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, so we normally work like football matches. Yeah, so it's proper. The following yeah. week, so at Twickenham Stadium, 80,000 people during the Six Nations, got some of the fiercest rivalries, England against Scotland, England against France, Wales, whoever it might be. Guess how many police officers we have on a match day at Twickenham at the stadium? 20. One. Wow. Don't wow. see trouble. Do you, do you think it could be a class thing? Because I'm sitting here and I'm dissecting like all of the conversation. It's like you're saying you didn't get into rugby until you went to a private schooling. Then obviously, you know, state schooling and whatever, you, you're playing football 
Mm-hmm. You rarely play mm-hmm. rugby. Um, all the inner city kids are playing mm-hmm. football, whereas like higher educated kids are then playing rugby. Do you think it's the two separations of class go each ways, and that's why the so the conflict each other you, so much? I, I hear what you're saying, but. I'm also. I mean, I might be speaking out of turn there. No, That's just no, me no. dissecting no, the conversation no, no. It's, here. It's a real good question, and As I think it's a fair summary to get to. But I can't sit here and say that middle or upper class kids or people act better than mm-hmm. like council estate boys. Yeah, we've got some of the most middle and upper class people running this country, and they're a shambles in their behaviour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? I honestly think it just comes down to a cultural thing, but it's the, the other thing is is because people that go to rugby have grown up with it, so they understand what it should yeah. look like and how it should feel. So if they saw someone speaking out of turn or doing something, you wouldn't need police. They'd be like, what "It'd you be reported. Yeah. You'd, mate, you'd be gone." Yeah, it's just not accepted I th- or tolerated. I, th- I, think that, I think that helps as well, though. In in the in policing the, itself, aren't it? Yeah, but also. Yeah. It's okay to say, it. yeah. When you're from lower class, it's like you don't speak to the police, you don't grass on your mates. Mm. You like that's kind of something you're told at like three. Yeah. Do you get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. But you're not necessarily grassing in that situation. You're just going, don't do that, mate. Yeah. And then there's seven of you going, don't do that, mate. Yeah, of so course. The, the person now goes, yeah, it's not worth it. Is yeah, it? at rugby, you're more likely to harm yourself than harm someone else. Yeah, yeah. that's because. They would drink all day long. <laughs> do something stupid. Yeah, but so the football yeah. fans, well, they don't want to fight. So it's... It's what your intention though, yeah, isn't it? Your yeah. intention is pure. Oh, that's what I'm hearing from rugby. I think Purer so. intentions. But yeah. also, we are a sport at times that do look down on other sports. Mm-hmm. And that does not go down well yeah. at all. And I totally get it because someone could say, oh, well, you've got this, you've got that issue. Every sport has their issues, course, and I would hate for rugby to think that it is morally better than mm-hmm. any other sport. Yeah. Like, get a grip. Mm-hmm. We've got our own house to keep in order. So, yeah, whilst we might behave a bit better and fans can sit with one another, rival fans, all the rest of it, and have a good old drink and sing song, all the rest of it, we've still got loads of issues. So mm-hmm. I'm sat here as a football fan who played rugby, not saying we're any better yeah, yeah we definitely. just might be better at a couple of things but we is mad rugby looks at football and goes mm. how can we be as big as that yes and then football looks at rugby and says how can we have that culture yes and if we had the two of them together you would have not just the best sport but mm. the best fan experience as well yeah of course but we yeah, haven't yeah. solved that yeah, just, just a question on that so you there's something i've always wondered and I hope you can educate me on this. So, I remember, was it Chris Ashton? Mm-hmm. Ashton? He went to France. He was smashing it. Went to France to get paid. <laughs> yeah. And couldn't play for England. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm massively out the loop here. Yeah. So, so why, why is it, why is it the French pay better first and foremost, and secondly, why if you then make the decision to better your family's life? Do you get punished for playing for England? It's a great question. That doesn't even make sense. But it's what that's what they do, though. I've got no idea what you're on about. But <laughs> you know when you just so basically speak you, play, words, you play, play if you could sense. play to play no, for England. I get what you're yeah. saying, yeah. but no, like what you're saying doesn't make sense. Don't. To play for England, you have to play in England. But the more money yeah. is yeah. in France. Yeah. But if you go get the more money, you're not allowed to play 
for your national team? It's protecting the international system because mm. if all of them went over to France, we'd be losing our best players, mm -hmm. which then undermines and devalues the league because the fans and sponsors pay to see the best English players in the league, but mm -hmm. they're all chasing checks in France. And I totally get it. 26, I got offered a contract to go and play in Paris. That would have made me the highest paid winger in the world. And I turned it down. And now you're here with us. And now I'm here with you guys, living the dream. <laughs> but like, should have should have went to France. <laughs> you got Paris. I was single. You fucked bro. up there. I was single. single, single in you Paris. up there. I know. And <laughs> honestly, there's two reasons I stayed. One because I wanted to play for my club and win trophies for my club, and mm. it would have made it just made I'd have felt better mm -hmm. winning, and thankfully I did, which was great. But the other thing was, if I went to France, I wouldn't play for England. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a huge say on your international career because you, you have to stay here. I think in any other trade, in any other industry, that would be considered restriction of trade. Yeah. It just would be. Mm -hmm. I think also as well, so to cut you, what you just said about rugby wants to be football, you, you can't have that unless you allow and attract the best people here. So it, it's like a, it's a walking contradiction, really. It is. It's, it's a puzzle that no one's been able to solve. Mm -hmm. We've got some of the best players from around the world playing in this country whilst trying to retain the best English players in this country as well. But actually, what I think you need to do is create a balance of allow people to make their own decisions and mm -hmm. select from abroad, but also not attracting too many foreign players that are taking away opportunities from English kids as well. Yeah. It's really hard to solve. There's a lot more brighter people who are governing the game mm -hmm. but haven't quite been able to solve it. And it's a real sticking point. It's a massive conversation right now. Mm. What you often see players do is, especially in South Africa, because the pound to the rand is obviously significantly more and people mm -hmm. come up, get the pound or the euro. They play a World Cup, which is happening later this year, and then they'll leave for two years, get paid then come back two years for World Cup and be like, hey, I'm back. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Back. Remember me, kind yeah, of, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. to be able to make the next World Cup. But the average career length is seven, eight years. If you want to disappear mm -hmm. and get paid for two or three, that's three years of potentially missing out playing for your country. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, I don't know. It's I, tough, that, isn't it? I, I'm yeah. keen for anyone mm -hmm. to make whatever decision you want to make. Mm -hmm. Just be happy with the end of it. Mm -hmm. When I speak to young players now and they're like, oh, I want to stay here because of my loyalty to the club, I'm like, go and get paid. Mm -hmm. Because loyalty does not pay your mortgage or your, or your family school fees when you retire. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Like, But that's we, just the business of it. Of course. Mm -hmm. like We want to believe that sport is this... <laughs> incredible thing where if you've given everything and you've injured and you fought through injury and you've become an icon and a legend to your club they will look after it doesn't like work that. like that mm -hmm. the minute you retired bro you're nothing but a plaque on the board in the members bar mm -hmm. that's it that's the truth and then they'll bring through the True. next person so yeah, sometimes while you're injured they bring you through the next person 100 percent. go and get paid mm -hmm. and that might sound savage and we hate talking about money but Whilst it's a passion, it is a job. Yeah. Of course. But you know the best thing you just touched on there? We hate talking about money. Only when it's about someone going to get money. Especially like in, in my industry. Mm. All you hear is, oh, this person signed a contract. It's X amount of million. It's all right for a tabloid. It's all right for fans to talk about it. But if a player come out and went, I'm leaving because there's more money over there. What what you do that for? You're grateful, you're this, you're that, mm. you're not loyal. Get vilified. Vilified is a great word for yeah. it. It, 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 it's a job. Of course it is. And, and we, we talk about it all the time. If 
if a person's working at supermarket A and the supermarket B offered fifty pound more, not one person is staying at supermarket A for loyalty. No, they're all going. No, yeah. but apparently with football and with sport, you should stay because we love that club. So you should stay there. I oh, know they almost dictate what is enough money, and footballers yes. get paid really, really well. So. To your average person, they're like, what you're getting paid a week mm -hmm. is way beyond the average national salary. I get that. But when you're used to a certain wage, mm -hmm. earning more than that doesn't mean you're greedy. It's mm -hmm. getting paid your market value. And by the way, your market value is what someone is willing to pay. Yes, so when yeah. they say you're overpaid, I remember when I was negotiating my last contract, I knew what my market value was. And I was rigid. I was like, I'm sticking to it. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, but you've been injured. I was like, do you remember when I was getting paid eight and a half thousand pounds? Yep. That was way below market value. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear you lot shouting and screaming and said, oh, we should be... We should give you more. Bring yeah. you up to this. Do you know what I mean? Behave. So it yourself. works both ways, your, end, your entry <laughs> as well as your exit. But as much as rugby players would have loved to have had the money of footballers and have the careers, there's no way, no way we want the scrutiny. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I played rugby, played for my country, got well paid... I don't have people digging through my bins, wondering mm -hmm. what I'm having for dinner, who I'm dating, mm -hmm. what post I'm liking on Twitter or Instagram. To your average person, the money you'd get paid would just about pay for their like therapy, yeah. just to be able to deal 100%. with that every single week. 100%. So be careful what you wish for. Like, yeah, you have the big checks and the big money, but it's not the just the money, it's the big responsibility. You mm -hmm. made one mistake and that's you finished. Look at what's happened to Trent this year. Mm -hmm. He's a good player. He's a no good kid. He's <laughs> a good kid as well. Do you know what I mean? He's an unbelievable player. He just gets hammered for Gets hammered because they'll go, oh, see what's happening at Chelsea. Mm. Strikers aren't scoring goals. Okay, they're going through a bad period at the minute, but it'll be, it's not about the talent. It's like, he's getting paid that, so he should be able to do that. They, mm. Everyone wants to do their job, but also everyone's a human being. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why every time you make a mistake, money comes into it as well. Yeah. Because I just talk it from my sport because that money is so unfathomable to people. Yeah. A that creates a divide. Yeah. Secondly, it's a sport that everyone wants to do. Yep. Everyone they has started an at school. On it, don't they? they all do it. I scored this great goal at Sunday League. Okay. But you've never experienced the elite level. Now I played in the Premier League. I'm very happy that I I'm very aware there's your um, Champions League. Is European League, there's internationals. They were miles better than me. I played, but I played with some very, very good players. And you know what it is, and you will know this. When you go to the elites, are you able to replicate that one good moment you did at Sunday League every single day, every single time? Repetition. In with the with the thought process of maybe half a second to think. Mm. And we just had Andy Cole on, who's an absolute legend, <sighs> talking about yeah. finishing, weren't we? Yeah. He's talking about finishing. He's saying. The hardest chance is a one-on-one. -on -one. Andy Cole said the hardest chance is what we consider in the world as the easiest chance. Yes, of course. To score. Of course, you expect to score. <laughs> Same with penalties. I find it remarkable. And, um, you know, penalty taker steps up and they're like, look at the size of the goal. He has to always hit it. And I'm thinking, I don't know the dimension of a goal. They're big. Yeah. But any striker is probably only focusing on like a two-metre square corner it's like eight, eight by 12 at it eight feet by 12 feet eight feet by 12 feet no seven 12 um, someone's got to correct me but yeah. something like that but it's big yeah, yeah but a strike is only looking at a corner what that big 
you're not looking at eight feet by twelve feet. You're looking no, at seven, seven by twelve. Just think I can touch the bar. Yeah, seven, seven, seven by twelve. Yeah, but you're only looking at a small bit of mm-hmm. it because if you don't put it in that spot, then. But also, the fellow in there is six foot six. It's a big dude. <laughs> it's and he's athletic. The sub, the sometimes when you stand against statues. certain goalkeepers, you're like, wow, I've really got to hit that little square in the corner. That you're talking about, and I'm talking on the net. You're thinking, if I hit that, you can't get it. Yeah, but he probably could get everywhere else. So we had Horelio Gomez. You remember Gomez? Six foot six, but the hands longest like arms shorts. you've ever seen. Like he's standing and his hands are touching his <laughs> knees. Like you're like, how is that? So when he's jumping and doing like jumping jacks, yeah, you're going, I can't really see where this goes. And then the emotion and the pressure, mm. like. We're, everyone's a better footballer at home. Everyone's a better pundit at home. Everyone's mm-hmm. a better rugby player at home. But the one thing that never gets spoken about when we talk about these isolated incidents is the pressure. Mm-hmm. So World Cup final, Euros final, stepping up, and you have not a clue mm-hmm. how that feels. I was going to ask you on that. What 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 was your highest pressurised moment, and what did you do to calm yourself in that moment or did you even manage to calm yourself in that moment so the biggest game I probably played in I played for the British and Irish Lions and mm. so the British and Irish Lions a team made from Britain and Ireland yeah. we tour together once every four years we play South Africa Australia New Zealand the big three and I played against South Africa in South Africa um, and it was probably the greatest South African side we've ever seen they're world champions mm-hmm. I mean they were wicked playing in that was bigger than anything I'd done and it and coach will tell you it's any other it's like any other game it shouldn't feel like any other game because it's special and it's Mm -hmm. different but nerves are good like for me anyway it's everyone feels nerves to a less or greater extent it's how you convert nerves into like good energy Mm -hmm. but for me nerves are a good thing it shows you care trust me if I went into a game and wasn't nervous I'm cocky yeah Yeah, and then I'm probably going to make worse mistakes yeah yeah definitely but it's trying to trying to manage that and I remember in the first half of that I had an opportunity to score a try got knocked out of my hands 20 20 minutes into the game and I was like but you've got 10 million people watching you got 80,000 people in the crowd and you need to get yourself back into the game Mm -hmm. so I just used to always think just next job like I couldn't let my next my next action be determined by my last and that's whether it was positive or negative I had to just stay present in it Mm -hmm. But that was really tough. I got dropped after that. Oh, wow. I got dropped. So playing for the Lions was the greatest thing ever to do. To put it into layman's terms, imagine wanting to get the best or biggest job or opportunity you ever wanted to get, and it's taken you 13 years to get there. Then 80 minutes later, your boss calls you into the office and goes, you're sacked. Mm -hmm. That's how that feels. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it feels. I got dropped for the second test. I played the third test and I scored an intercepts, like my greatest moment for my rugby career. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not really how... There's, the, there's a big picture of that, sorry. No, 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 the please. When you're powered away and you look like a monster, mate. No, I was pumped. Yeah. It was the greatest I've feeling. I've got to show you this picture, mate. When he, when he, he intercepts and he just goes, it's like, whoo, yeah. the camera, the lighting. Right, you were jacked. Man, I was so <laughs> pumped because it was a bit like scoring a try for Lions is massive, mm-hmm. but then it was also redemption a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in those like three matches, it was an illustration of what sport is. Yes. I'd like hit the first test, bang, peak, look yeah. at me. Yeah. Eight minutes later, boom, 
Like, I believe in heaven and hell. And I've, I've felt like I've witnessed both of those things mm -hmm. on a rugby pitch, sometimes in the same game. And so how you pick yourself up and actually pull yourself down off that roof where you think you've, you've arrived, mm -hmm. if you can keep yourself with a level of like equilibrium, that's where you're operating at your best. But those peaks and troughs of emotion within sport often determine your career. And we, like our world is, and our lives are built from highlights, especially with social media. We just mm -hmm. want snapshots and yeah. highlights. They're the things you remember, but the work that gets to those moments, I say it all the time, to enter high school, 70 meters, six and a half seconds, yeah? Mm -hmm. Six and a half seconds, that's my greatest moment from a career that lasted 14 years. Mm -hmm. And to get to that moment, it took me 13 years of training for six and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. But, if I had to do another 13 years of them six and a half seconds, I'd do it again. Because yeah. mm -hmm. like that moment, I can't tell anyone that they'll never feel it or don't mm -hmm. know what it feels like. Everyone has it in their own different worlds. But that's how special it was for me. But mm -hmm. the work to get there, Johnny Wilkinson scored yes. a drop goal World Cup. That's the only thing I know about rugby. That's well, it. He catches the ball. He drops the he drops the ball over, um, over the post. Was it four or five seconds? Mm -hmm. Man, that guy was a slave to the sport. Mm -hmm. What if he missed? Yeah. What if he missed? I remember we'll seeing yeah, an interview with him because I, I, I love like mentality. Mm. I love listening to people talk about their mentality. And he was saying, everyone remembers that, but when he was a captain, he was on Sam Warburton's podcast, when he was a captain, he he was the worst captain because all he could care about was himself. Yeah. So when it comes to like doing the tasks and cho choice events, they had to go and get him from doing kicks because they were like, you're, they're your jobs. But he, he, yeah. his, his level of being a captain was me. If I get the best version of me, we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. I went to school with Johnny. He was okay. three years above me. Um, I played with Johnny at England. It was, it was actually a bit mad. Like the first time I went to Twickenham, I was a waiter. <laughs> so I was in the corporate <laughs> boxes, getting 8.50 an hour. Um, just like silver service. Because I wanted to be at Twickenham, I couldn't afford yeah, a yeah. ticket. Yeah. And I remember I was in the boxes and he just played he walked into the box and I was gassed, okay? Mm -hmm. I was like, I know him. And everyone's like, yeah, we all know who he is. I was like, no, I know him. Do you know when you have to <laughs> yeah. front it? Like, yeah. I'm doubling yeah. down now. <laughs> so I just like, just honestly, involuntary, just went, Johnny? <laughs> just like that. I was like, shit, what have I said? <laughs> just shouting stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he looked up, I was like, you all right, Hugo? And I thought, oh, I'm made now. Imagine if he went... <laughs> that could have went so left. I, I wouldn't have played rugby. I couldn't show my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was cool to have gone from that to then playing with him. But I remember we toured Australia and uh, we drew a series in 2011. Mm -hmm. Third test. He kicked a few goals. He missed a few goals. That's what happens, right? Anyway, we drew it. So it was a good, it was a good series for us. And after that, we're in the change room. We're like drinking beer, celebrating a little bit. It was the end of a long season. And uh, one of the opposition Australians came into change room, like looking for Johnny, wanted to swap shirts with him. I was like, where's Johnny? I was like, I don't know. Maybe he's in the shower. Check the shower, he's not in the shower. Or maybe he's drug testing. He's not in the drug test room. I was like, where is he? Like he'd been ages, half hour. Walked out. He's on the pitch practicing goal kicking. <laughs> maybe it's the end of our season. We weren't yeah. going to play for another eight, nine weeks. But he had to, when he made a mistake, he had to put it right to mentally yeah. mm -hmm. be okay with himself. He's a... Uh, He's a different beast than mm -hmm. how he like operated, and you know the correlation between working hard mentality and attainment achievement. That guy was that. Mm -hmm. I want to take you back to um, 
a nation you just mentioned as well um new zealand how was it seeing the hacker live is it do you look at it thinking like right this is for me i'm gonna this is goal time or is it like how the commentators say it's it's scary and you know, gets in people's heads well it depends what kind of person you are you can mm. be intimidated or invigorated by it is how i see it they come to twickenham this is our home yeah and you know google the words of the challenge which they're setting down they're there they're in your face they're throwing down a challenge mm -hmm. at your home and so i've all so much respect for the all blacks they're unbelievable but when you come to like my house mm -hmm. and you set down that challenge i'm banging right for it. It. Mm -hmm. you know i've played the all blacks a few times i never beat them so it's all right being like 10 men going yeah i'm up for this and then they pull your pants down <laughs> <laughs> but in that moment i was up for it <laughs> you know what I mean? but i love it yeah i love it you know we're talking about highly testosterone physical sport and you've got these people like 15 meters away from you putting mm. down this challenge oh i, I want this yeah mm -hmm. i want this so for me i, it's I read the, the the book obviously uh legacy and that that shows i don't think i think obviously that happens in other uh areas of your sport as well but you know like the cleaning up of the dressing room things of that nature like we are representing new zealand so when they land mm -hmm. they leave it as it was yeah it doesn't matter if you're jordalomu or whoever you you're cleaning up you're putting the tops yeah. away it's, it's about respected the whole thing and i think football's trying to do it a little bit now yeah it south is. africans are like it yeah so we had this um we signed um a former south african captain called andre voss he's a legend he signed for us and then we got relegated so you can imagine ex-south african captain now you're in the champ mm -hmm. probably not ideal for him but he was one of the greatest captains i ever worked with not because of just the play he was but the person he was mm -hmm. but i'm i'm a young kid playing in the champ trying to find my way do you know what i mean and we had this away match, we spanked them, and I'm like showered super quick, on the bus, dominoes, bang, couple of beers at the back of the bus, yeah. having banter with the boys. I forgot my headphones or something in the changing room, so I got off the, got off the team bus, I walked into the changing room, and Andre Voss, one of the most senior players in our room, in our team, he's sweeping up the changing room, and I just thought, who do I think I am? Mm -hmm. How is this South African captain who's done everything in the game, how is he there with a brush or a broom mm -hmm. sweeping up our mess and I'm the young kid on my yeah. third beer having smashed two dominoes sat there. How like yeah. That was a wake-up call for me and he didn't do it for clout. There was mm -hmm. no cameras. No one would have known apart from me just walking in and I just thought the things you do when no one's watching really determines the person 100%. that you are and yeah. I like I love him. So mm -hmm. much respect for him for 100%. it. 100%. So obviously I want to conscious at the time i know you you injured early you left the game through injury as you said what's the worst injury you ever had and could you explain to people what it's like in that injury process for yourself the groin one was bad mm -hmm. because you, i torn my core you don't realize mm -hmm. how much you use your core so like coughing standing mm -hmm. sleeping like going to the toilet mm -hmm. that was bad and I was immobile for three weeks. I just had to have my feet up and being inactive was horrible. I had a, I had a back injury where I couldn't, I actually couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. um, this was age 24 and I'm thinking I need to be peaking now. Mm -hmm. 
and I can't even stand on my own two feet. I couldn't go home, I had to stay at a friend's house and I slept on his floor and had a bucket next to me um, where I just, mate, that's where I was just pissing. Like I, I couldn't do anything, but a mad one, okay. So this is 2009, I'm just about to play for the Lions. Lions have been selected. I was like, oh, this is the best, this is mm -hmm. the best. And we had a semi-final at home against London Irish. And my mum the night before had a dream that I broke my neck. She obviously mm. didn't tell me. Yeah. She came to the stadium, 15 minutes into the game, I go out, jump up for a ball, and someone takes my legs out. And jumping up for the ball, you mm. get to like 12, 13 feet, and I toppled over, I landed on my head, went down. My mum's in the stadium going, I had this dream last night, he broke his neck. Now look at him, he's laid down on his side. And in that moment on the floor, like obviously I was sore, but all I was thinking is I need to get up. Mm -hmm. I can't be injured. Next week I fly to South Africa with the Lions. This opportunity didn't mm -hmm. go away from me. So I got up, played the rest of the match, all good. Went on tour to Africa, wicked. And then the following Six Nations played against Scotland. And it was a few minutes from the game, a um, few minutes from the end of the match, and someone ran into me. And sometimes you just do desperate things just to stop tries. Like mm -hmm. that's just what you do. And I just shoved my head in the way of this guy's head. And I got a tiny head, so I was never going to win this Swede off. And we just collided head, boom, I was out cold. I saved the try, it was good, it was happy days. Stretched it off the pitch, went to the hospital, had a full body scan and said, is everything okay? And I went, yeah, everything's fine. It's just, you've got um, you've got displaced disc in your neck. Um, it's not, I don't think it happened today. It maybe happened like six months ago. Wow. And it was from that game, the, the week before I was meant to tour to go to South Africa and my mum had the wow. dream the day before. And went through. The maddest sore. thing is, if I didn't get up, I'd have gone to hospital. Would have found it. They'd have found it mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have been able to tour. So it's mad these sliding doors moments that you have mm -hmm. in your career that could potentially define the things that you do. You know, being a sportsman person is great and you need to be skilled and talented, but you need a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, 100%. I got served a big portion of luck for sure. Mad that's though, isn't mate. it? Yeah, that, yeah, mate, that's mental. <laughs> so, so we do five questions. Okay. To to end uh, to the end of the podcast, and I, and the big man likes this one because it's more of his street. So I let him go with the first okay, one. Okay. What annoys me. you the most? Rudeness. Yeah. I can't handle it. I I promise you. I. Yeah, maybe I don't say it this this example, but <laughs> I, I can't tolerate it because mm. I, I just don't think there's any reason for people to yeah. be rude. Mm. And that's just simple things like if I'm in a coffee shop and I open a door for someone, they walk through without saying say thank you. Mate, what I'm happened in the car on the way, yeah? Yeah. Let someone through, yeah. Let someone through. You know, just they're mm. blocking the road. They're blocking the road. They were blocking the road, so I've got like, let me just move to the side. Let you come through. Guys, come through. Can't say any of what I said, but I was like, how hard did you say thank you? Or not even that, that, just that. That's all I'm asking for. Minimal. Yeah. It's minimal. Yeah. I'm that dude who just shouts, pleasure. <laughs> I can't. Do you, do you, do you mean? Imagine, I've just I've got a vision of you holding a door at like Westfield. And someone's just, <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> and they turn back and see him and go, Sorry, mate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but you have to call people on it. Yeah. Like, just don't be rude. No. Just just be good. Just be is, that, nice. is that your only one? Um, uh, I hate disrespect. Like, I don't, I yeah. Foundations. Do you mean that? Mm -hmm. Do you know? It's, it's mad. 
that the things that actually grate me the most are things that should you just be habitual foundational mm -hmm. elements of just being a yeah. good person basic. Basic. so basic yeah. Yeah. yeah so basic yeah mm -hmm. so you had to create uh the, the best rugby player you could make okay you get three attributes so for example they may have a mind like yours but a running star like Jonah Lomu with Johnny Wilkinson's kicking ability. Oof. What does this person look like? I know it's a bit difficult because you've got different places. Yeah. But... Shall I just give you three names? Yeah. Richie McCaw, he's the ex All Black captain. Mm -hmm. He won he back to back back to back World Cups in 2011, 2015, mm -hmm. played 147 times. Mm -hmm. Mate, world class. Mm -hmm. Imagine playing 147 times for the number one team in the world across that period of time. It's like, mm. you've got to be decent. So his mindset, his leadership, his drive, what a guy. So him, um, you need speed, eh? Mm. Uh, speed and agility. Jason Robinson. He, Legend. Like, there's no one, else. just just YouTube him. I know that name. Yeah, can I just ask a question? Because he transferred, didn't he? Yeah. What's so difficult? Why is it so difficult to transfer? It's mad. Because not a lot of people have done it successfully, have they? Nah. So Rugby League and Rugby Union, they possess the same name rugby, but mm. they're ultimately two different sports. Okay. A few positions you could transfer, like Jason was a winger, and for people who don't know, a winger is the football equivalent of being a striker. You're there to score tries, score goals. Mm. So doing that job in Rugby League is fairly similar in Union. Mm -hmm. He made that transfer. He won everything there was to to win in rugby league and did the same in Union. Mm. He's just he's a once in a generation type of player. Mm -hmm. Just like wicked skill, footwork. Imagine like Messi on the ball. Mm -hmm. Just that type of creativity, but pace and vision. So he'd be another one. And then so I've got a leader, I've got pace, athleticism. And my idol was Jonah Lomu. Mm -hmm. okay. He was rugby's first superstar. Whether you know rugby or not, you've probably heard of that name. Mm -hmm. So like having his like superstardom and physicality and he changed the game. Watching him was like watching a man play like under 16s rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're going back to like 95 where he's six foot five 18 stone and runs the 100 in about 11 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like the disparity between him and the next person was massive. It's way more even now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, having a super superstar like him. If you're stuck on a desert island, what three things are you choosing to take with you? Based on what we've had before, anything can go. <laughs> Just want to say that. <laughs> Cocoa butter. <laughs> Mate, I'm not having ashy skin, bro. <laughs> that might be the first, that's the first one of that. <laughs> Mate, you got break. My skin is like the melanin's popping under these lights here. Do you mean? I'm not having ashy skin for no one, even if it's for myself. Okay. Um, I'd like maybe a Kindle just because you can what, like, you just books. I'll just mm -hmm. stack books and just read. And then the third one. Can I have a companion? Can I have a, a person? Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. I, I'm very happy in my own company. But if you're on a desert island and it's beautiful, it's always better to experience and enjoy life with someone else. So, someone else. I like, I like it. And the final one for us. Money or glory? 
glory. 100%. If you get glory, money will come. Mm-hmm. And no one remembers you for your bank balance. Mm-hmm. But they remember you and you can create a legacy through the glory you've had. If you get glory, it means you've been successful at something. Mm-hmm. You've applied yourself and completed something. So glory, 100%. Medals over cash. Good answer. Medals over cash. Someone has never won anything on the opposite. Cash. <laughs> Cash over I'm not good enough. No, but but it, it's mad. Cause, yeah, yeah. No, I'll get you 100%. No, no, but also, you spend more years retired than you do as a player. Mm. Mm. No, but do you know what? The uh, the people who got to play at the elite, like we said, we had Andy Cole on, and Andy Cole was talking about never got to enjoy his moments. Because when they won the league, three Cole days again. later, yeah, it was the FA Cup. Five days after that, it was the Champions League final. I think I was the opposite. And it's just like, bang, bang, bang. And he said, by the time he got to actually sit and chill out, it was COVID. And he'd been retired, what, 10, 15 years at that point? I say to anyone, you have to enjoy their moments because you don't realise how special until you probably retire. Mm -hmm. Like, it's mad. Like, I know you need to reset and go on to achieve the next thing. But in those moments, Johnny Wilkinson, Great example of this. Um, he played for a French club called Toulon. They mm-hmm. won the European Cup three times in a row. Champions League back to back to back. And he won it in his last ever European game. His last ever game was the top 14 final the week after. And I remember he got man of the match in the European final after winning it three times. And he got interviewed. And everyone's doing cartwheels, spraying champagne. And Johnny comes over and is interviewed. And they're like, how amazing is this? Your last ever European game. Like, what does it feel? He went, I've got a massive game next week. And I was like, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live for now. Like, enjoy this. And I reckon now, he'll look back and just go, oh, I just wish I enjoyed that moment yeah. a bit more. Because you never, like, you can't take for granted. It may never come back. Definitely. Well, bro, we appreciate you. Thank you it's for having been, me on. Um, it's been enlightening. It's yeah. been funny. More importantly, I, I feel like everyone's got to enjoy rugby a little bit better now. Because oh, now I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to work it out. <laughs> well, bro, thank you very much. Thank man. you. Appreciate, Appreciate you. Man. Thank, thank you. you. Nice thank one. You.